0: If you are offended by potty talk, well, then you might be offended. It's Monday, February 7th, 2022. From Peachfish Productions, it's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca. On Saturday, Mike Pence actually rebuked Donald Trump. On Sunday, all the shows were all over it. Stunning rebuke. Former Vice President Mike Pence rebukes President Trump. Pence rebukes Trump. The best coverage, though still incomplete as we'll get to, was ABC's this week because they had a panel of former Trump advisor Chris Christie, never Trump Republican Sarah Isgar, and Trump watcher Jonathan Carl whose analysis was this. Well, it's striking to see Mike Pence, the ultimate loyalist, come out and say the words Donald Trump is wrong. Although that is precisely precisely what his actions did a year ago on January 6th when he came out and he defied Trump. And he acted with genuine bravery on that day, Martha. Bravery, I mean, I guess lack of horrific constitution abusing indecency. I don't want to just go after Mike Pence as an easy target. I do actually applaud the actual brave Republicans, figures like Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger. That is actual bravery. We should say so. You'll often hear people on the left scoffing at the idea that they're brave. No, they've taken the correct stance at great cost and it wasn't thrust upon them. It was a choice. But that's why I don't think Pence showed bravery in the moment at January 6th. He did the right thing. But just like now, I don't think his reaction is best understood in the context of bravery. So remember, on January 6th, it was known for about a month that Donald Trump was the election loser. And he had this motley crew of advisors who were embarrassing him and themselves. And no one thought there was any path to anything other than further humiliation. Pence, must have been thinking, I need to get away from this toxicity, it's over, he lost, it's clear, we lost. Remember, this was before elected officials would come to realize that the Republican base did not buy the premise that he lost. This was before it became clear that the big lie of the stolen election would come to be the belief of 80% of Republicans. So Pence's wasn't a profile in courage. It was an exercise in obviousness. And now he's not showing any courage either. He's actually acting in Mike Pence's best interests. I mean, Look, he could sign on to Trump's statements, but then who is he and who does he become forever? Just a kind of pathetic secondary player in the Trump drama. Uh, Even to the Trump acolytes, he's still lesser than Donald Trump, never gonna be president that way. Forever a beta to Trump's alpha, a guy who signed on to an obvious dead-end commitment so he could be forever humiliated by Trump. Every Republican would love Trump's support. This is true. Most of them don't want Trump's stain. The stain is on Pence more so than many others. So Pence is trying to toe a line between not saying things that literally criticize his former boss, yet at the same time, not holding himself out as, you know, a legitimate part of the insurrection. Because even if he did, even if he said, you know, Trump's right, I could have overturned the election, then what is he doing? He's indicting himself retroactively as a coward so mike pence's only play isn't brave isn't surprising it's to not actually forcefully rebuke trump but to let it be known that yeah i really couldn't have done that you gotta believe me and so there he is trying to just save his own legacy he'd love the idea that mike pence could have overturned the election he'd love that to go away right? Especially because he didn't overturn the election. And where is his legacy now? I don't know. Depending on who you are, I would say the guy who's 98% on board with the worst abuser of the presidency in U.S. history, but not the full 100%, or the guy who chickened out when it counted. And the people who think that he's just a chicken, they're lost to him anyway. They'd rather hang than hang with Mike Pence. On the show today... I spiel about the visit from the Chancellor of Germany, Olaf in the White House. He's demure, he's nondescript, he plagiarizes a hand gesture, he is one sexy Saxon. But first, My guest was a senator, a comedian, an original SNL writer, and now a great podcaster, Fritz Hollings. No, it's Al Franken. Al Franken is here to talk about the issues, to talk about his party, and to talk about his self-imposed period of mirthlessness, part one of the Al Franken interview up next. Because his wife says, you know, what that picture and that man means to you, it doesn't mean to other people, and you have to understand that. And then in the interview, they got around to the point where McChrystal talked about that interview in Rolling Stone magazine that pretty much ended his career, where it got to the desk of Barack Obama, and it had McChrystal saying unflattering things about the war effort and just how he talked to his wife and how they decided not to be bitter and not to wallow in. He could have taken some shots at the process, the reporter or the president at that point, but he didn't. It was just an overall good interview. It was facilitated by Jordan's excellent interview style. Whether Jordan is conducting an interview or giving advice to a listener, you will find something useful that can apply to your own life in every single episode of The Jordan Harbinger Show. That could mean learning how to ask for advice the right way or discovering a little mindset tweak that changes how you see the world. Search for The Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R, like the first three letters in hard, B-I-N-G-E, as in how you'll want to catch up on all the episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Al Franken, former U.S. senator, is currently on tour, and what's billed as the only former U.S. senator currently on tour, 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 no, tour. Yes. Now, currently, <laughs> currently is the key. Well, because... Want to try that again, so I don't <laughs> interrupt it? No, that's fine. Okay. Because I need, I need you to confirm this. That tell me if this is true. I've read that Barbara Mikulski, after she retired, began playing state fairs with Bigfoot, the monster truck, but she's no longer doing that now.
1: Uh, yes, she's not, uh, she was, but that wasn't comedy. Oh, I see. (laughs) (laughs) It was a freak show (laughs) that she was hosting. Just make some bucks.
0: Damn, the damn money grab. (laughs) Yeah. So I want you to know, I don't know if you know this, Senator Franken, I have seen you perform in a theater, but the performance consisted of you literally tackling an audience member who was heckling Howard Dean at the time. I didn't tackle.
1: The audience member, <laughs> I lifted his legs so he couldn't have purchase. <laughs> and uh, so it wasn't tackling. I didn't slam him. The New York Post said I body slammed him to the floor. This is at a John Dean rally. No, in New How- Howard Dean. I don't Howard think it would be rallying yeah. for you. Yeah. sorry, yeah. not a John Dean I, But I literally,
0: I literally was there. I was covering the New Hampshire primaries. I was eight feet away from you. I didn't see the takedown. I saw the result. I saw your glasses. It wasn't a
1: takedown. It was <laughs> just, because I want to be clear about this, because okay. the New York Post, oddly, uh, mischaracterized it. <laughs> <laughs> and they said that I body slammed the guy. This is what happened. Uh, and I was up there in New Hampshire just to watch, right? And so it was a Lyndon LaRouche guy, evidently, at, at the end of it. And so I, uh, he was just shouting down Howard Dean. And it stopped everything. This was like 10 minutes.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, I could confirm. He would not shut up. And no one was doing anything about it except you. That is true. And evidently,
1: Howard Dean's staff were spindly people <laughs> or something. So I just said, we got to do something. And they didn't have security or something. So I just took the guys. I just I used to wrestle. So I took his legs. And now he was off the ground and he couldn't go anywhere. So I started to carry him off. And then other people helped carry
0: him off and he was out. And I got the key to the city. I think maybe that the early seeds of your uh contempt for the filibuster or talking in the way of a solution showed itself there. That's what you were doing. I was just a
1: guy who was being obnoxious and and, and disrupting this thing and no one was doing anything else. So.
0: Yeah, have had you ever done anything like that before or since? No. <laughs> <laughs> So for many years, you didn't make jokes. You're serious because you needed when you were first elected to the Senate and you needed to convey to your constituents that, you know, you're taking the job seriously. What were some of the difficult aspects of keeping that aspect of your personality tamped down?
1: Well, it was funny because I was told as soon as I got there, don't be funny, Mm -hmm. you know, by my staff. Don't be funny in hearings. (laughs) Don't be funny on the floor. Uh, I could be funny at a caucus lunch. Okay, <laughs> I could be funny in the cloakroom. <laughs> I could be funny in the office. We had a great time in the office. <laughs> we had a really great staff, and I had, I think, the best continuity in in the Senate in terms of staff. And um, so it was tough. And and every once in a while, I would they put me through what I call the dehumorizer. Uh huh. And after I won re-election in 14, I thought like, okay, now I can, <laughs> that can be funny. So right after um, Obergefell, which uh, legalized uh, same-sex marriage, the Supreme Court decision uh, legalized it nationwide, I said, I want to write the press release. Mm-hmm. So I wrote this. I wrote uh, uh, Senator Al Franken, Democrat, Minnesota today congratulated. Uh, the Supreme Court, on their decision, Obergefell, to legalize uh, same-gender marriage nationally, but called Justice Scalia's dissent, quote, very gay.
0: <laughs> and the staff love that, huh?
1: No, oddly. <laughs> Turns out. <laughs>
0: And said, no.
1: And I went, it's funny. And so that was sort of a lot of that. But I got, uh, yeah, I was able to loosen up in the second term. But, yeah, it was really weird. Because, like, my first week in the Senate was uh, Sotomayor hearings, Mm -hmm. right? And I'm on judiciary. So don't be funny, don't be funny, don't be funny. (laughs) And I wasn't. I was, you know, Dahlia Lithwick's you know, said I was the only one who raised certain things, oddly. And, but, at one point, she had, Amy Klobuchar, who had been a prosecutor, asked her, did you, why'd you become a prosecutor? And she said, I did, because I watched Perry Mason. That's what made me want to be a prosecutor. So when it got to me, for my 30-minute questioning, I said, um, it, was a, it was a great show. And it amazes me that you wanted to become a prosecutor based on that show, because in Perry Mason, the prosecutor, Berger, lost every week. One kid. <laughs> With one exception, which we'll get to later.
0: <laughs>
1: so Okay, well, we'll get to that later. I wanted to get to my questions. So then uh, it's a 30-minute round, and, and I, I finished a certain series of questions, and I had about mm-hmm. a minute and a half left. So I couldn't develop the next thing. So I said, okay, I can't. What, what case did Perry Mason lose? What was the one case in Perry Mason well, uh, that, that uh, Burger won? I wish
0: I remembered the
1: name of the episode, but I don't. I just was always struck that there was only one case where his client was actually guilty. and um, and And you don't remember that case? I know that I should remember the name of it, but I haven't looked at the episodes. Didn't the White I House prepare you for, <laughs> for that? <laughs> Which is not a planned joke. No. She just, you know, and huge laugh. And then it was like, you know, can Al Franken stop from being funny? Can he help himself? And it was
0: like, oh, come on, guys, please press. Right. They don't apply the standards to Orrin Hatch, you know. They don't apply these standards to anyone else making a joke. Well, there's a reason. For Orrin, yes.
1: <laughs> Nor did they say, yeah, Orrin Hatch, uh, you know, th- we've told him not to dance a lot
0: around the Senate. <laughs> not to do physical shtick. <laughs> the Pratt Falls, his Jack Benny was second to none. But who can see it outside the cloakroom? <laughs> you again. I would see him, i go,
1: you again may i
0: help you rochester um he, so he yeah frank nelson you remember frank nelson i to me i just studied it uh like a historic document frank
1: nelson was a character actor you know and he would just show up all the time so he would always go to like he wanted to buy mary some perfume so i go to the perfume counter and the guy would have the back to him and he goes uh, sir uh, sir yes oh mister mister
0: yes
1: <laughs> and then benny would go you again
0: <laughs> right and that and frank nelson exists there is a simpsons character that does that shtick and 98 percent of the audience does not know why
1: uh, excuse me sir yes i'd like to buy
0: so I want to ask you about your comportment and questioning in hearings. I was watching, you were very very good at it and you would often note on the judiciary committee, you were I think the only non-lawyer there. Mm, and uh, actually Diane Feinstein. Diane Feinstein. So of yeah. the people who are very good at questioning, you were the only non-lawyer <laughs> there. Well,
1: she might have been good at one point. Mm-hmm.
0: And so I was thinking about why, and I think if most people listening to this probably know that, and they said, well, well, Al, Senator Franken's a performer, but I don't think that's quite it. You weren't, you know, being a showman up there, it probably is more to do with the fact that you're a writer, and in fact, a writer for other people, so you have to know that your words have to be airtight and work on, on their own.
1: Well, it's a number of things. One, perform- being a performer helps. Uh, I was surprised, you know, a, a lot of my other colleagues were pros- had been prosecutors, but, um, you know, I, yeah, you're right. I was not a lawyer. I, I played one in a sketch. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, but uh, what I would do, I listen a lot. Also, I prep. I would really prep. And so when we did uh, hearings, I mean, when you're talking about the Gorsuch hearing or something, I would... Uh, prep the way you do for that but uh, there wasn't a briefing book with his testimony I mean I, a lot of he- most hearings are you get a binder the night before uh, the di- you know when you're leaving at six or you know p.m or something I would take that home and read it and I would have the and your your staff would put questions in it for you and I would I would call them around 10 at night and say I've read the read the the testimony um the testimony be submitted the day before and i let's do i'd like to do this in the questioning and let's meet tomorrow at 9 the hearing be at 10 and let's go over the questioning i assumed other senators did that <laughs> but they didn't no and so there was partly that but also yeah when you're a performer uh, you can tell when, oh, I'm getting a little too sarcastic here. Mm-hmm. And people aren't buying, you know, I better pull back. Mm-hmm. And you can do that if you're a performer. But also, I really did make a point of listening. Yeah. And especially in judiciary, uh, because you could tell, especially on a nomination, you could tell a lot when someone got a... a like Gorsuch got very, very uncomfortable Durbin had asked him about the frozen trucker, right? You know, you know,
0: that the famous, that yep.
1: Famous case. Infamous yeah. Case. And, yeah. and, uh, I had not prepared anything on the frozen trucker. I didn't know about it, but, uh, when I heard it and I saw him be uncomfortable, I went, I went to my guy and I said, uh, look up, get the frozen trucker. It is absurd to say this company is in its rights to fire him because he made the choice of possibly dying from freezing to death or causing other people to die possibly by driving an unsafe vehicle. That's absurd. Now, I had a career in identifying absurdity. And I know it when I see it and it makes me,
0: you know, the, it makes me question your judgment. Do you think that your questions ever changed the course of history or undid a nomination or boosted a nomination that was in trouble?
1: I actually uh, did something I think that may have changed things a lot, which is uh, when Sessions was up for AG, mm-hmm, I asked him it just come out some it just hit the wires or something that uh a number of the uh surrogates on the trump campaign people in the Trump campaign had met with Russians, <laughs> so I basically asked him whether he had met would he recuse himself because of that mm-hmm. and he said, Senator Franken. I'm not aware of um, any of those activities. I uh, have been called a surrogate at a time or two in that campaign, and I did have, not have communications with the Russians, um, and I'm unable to comment on it. And the problem with that was he had.
0: Yeah. <laughs> What's the legal term for that? <laughs> I think it was perjury. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, and... Um, but you didn't so, know it. It wasn't like you were setting a trap, right? It was just uh, no, no, by no. curiosity. No, no, no. I
1: really was more, it was more about will you recuse yourself right? because you were part of the campaign. And so I thought that was a logical question. But then he took it to, I didn't meet with the Russians. And then, then the Washington Post, I don't know, a few weeks later, found that he had met with Kislyak a number of times. And that's when he recused himself. Now, you're supposed to recuse yourself anyway. If you worked in a campaign, if you're AG, you're supposed to recuse yourself. So it actually, in one way, didn't change history, except that, the, you know, the Trump administration didn't observe those rules. Yeah. <laughs> and the right. Office of Legal Counsel had this rule that if you have been on a campaign, you'd have to recuse yourself if you're AG, if you're going to be AG. But... They didn't know that, or something, and but once it turned out that he had kind of lied about this, he had to, he just had to recuse himself, and then because of that, you know, he wouldn't fire Mueller basically, and he wouldn't, and so that's why we had Mueller for the whole time.
0: And tune in tomorrow as the senator talks about the filibuster. And many of his fellow senators include those who stood by him and those who did not. And now the spiel. The German Chancellor Olaf Scholz visited Washington with a flourish that can only be described as serious, bordering on sedate. Through a translator, Schultz talked about the need for talks, whether or not they achieve much. It is important that we talk. And the same is true for the OSCE, where we need to discuss about security in Europe. This is also a progress, as tiresome as it may be. Okay, normal, stayed, respectable. I guess I was suffering from low expectations after I read a piece in the New York Times. Invisible German leader sets out for Washington amid fierce criticism. Okay, Schultz seemed to say, I lack a personality, but invisible? Come on, I'm right over here. No, the other guy. No, two to the left. See, here I am. The Times went on to say that, quote, rarely has a German leader come into office with so many burning crises. Really? The first German leader, Otto von Bismarck, came into office as Federal Chancellor of the North German Federation after the old German Confederation fell apart. That title evaporated during the Franco-Prussian War, kind of a crisis. Bismarck acquires a different title. Yeah, the Germans won. Still 150,000 of them died. million Frenchmen, to be fair. Other German leaders came into fraught situations, including all the leaders of the Weimar Republic. And then Adolf Hitler... Who not only inherited a crisis, but either created or profited off another literal burning crisis, the Reichstag fire. Cold War leaders, East and West, oversaw a split Germany. Konrad Adenauer had the choice to embrace NATO or push for German unification, kind of a crisis. Willy Brandt, things weren't really calm under him. Sure, you have the Helmuts, Kohl and Schmidt. And placid, steady Angela Merkel, oh, Angela, such a towering figure of calm. Just an imposing, dominant, giantess of normalcy. German politicians have, for understandable reasons, they've decided to become kind of unemotive in public. You understand, ranting and raving from a German leader on the public stage, not going to play that well, less well than, say, from a Cuban or a Ugandan or every other country in the world. Merkel, according to the Times article, would express her distinctiveness in a very understated way. Quote, Mr. Schultz won the election last year, primarily by convincing voters that he would be very much like Ms. Merkel, terse, well-briefed, and abstaining from any gesture of triumph. Oh God, America Alexa, reality show host, the Germans elect an actuarial accountant. Times went on to say, Schultz not only learned to sound like the former chancellor, but he even emulated her body language, holding his hands together in her signature diamond shape. He held his hands together in a diamond and still things aren't working for him? So you're telling me he's not gonna power pose his way to diplomatic success? As the situation in Ukraine worsened, as a last gasp Hail Mary, Schultz not only made a diamond, but tented his fingers, then rested his chin upon them, It sent markets tanking and tanks marshalling. The gesture is actually known as the Merkel Ruta, the Merkel rhombus, and it took on an almost mystical symbolism when wielded by the former chancellor. When Schultz does it, it's a little like when your high school principal signifies that he's trying to raise the roof. Whoop, whoop. Certainly not presidential Biden's signature finger guns. Those are cool. And the difference in leadership styles were really on display in Washington today. The first question at a joint press conference to both Schultz and Biden was, what'll happen if Russia invades Ukraine? Will the Nord Stream 2 pipeline be turned off? Schultz answering in English said, We will act together and we will take all the necessary steps and all the necessary steps will be done by all of us together biden also answering in english was a lot less circumloquacious even when faced with the obvious follow-up what can the u.s do about a pipeline that originates in russia goes through the baltic sea and winds up in germany here's what he said there will be no longer a Nord stream two. we we will bring an end to it
1: but how will you how will you do that since the project and control of the project is within germany's control
0: we will uh, i promise you we'll be able to do it okay not a lot of details, but also not a lot of ambiguity. Wow, bang, bold. Biden's been criticized domestically for floundering. Let's give him a primetime address, his fans and backers say. No, send him to the states to tout infrastructure and campaign for child tax credits. Nah, here's the answer. Just have him stand next to Olaf Scholz. He comes off like a cross between FDR and Eastwood.
1: I don't know that he's
0: even made it. I don't know
1: that he knows what he's going to do. And uh, I think he has to realize that it would be a gigantic mistake for him to move on Ukraine. The impact on
0: Europe and the rest of the world would be devastating. And he would pay a heavy price. To which Olaf Scholz added, Oh, it doesn't matter. He was there. The camera panned to him. But it's pretty clear, like the UN Security Council, the Germans do not have a veto on this one. Biden says he doesn't know if Putin knows, Of course, later, Biden said of Putin, I don't think anybody knows but him. But know this, unless Biden is ready to lose all credibility, if the Germans invade, they will pay in pipelines. You heard it. There shall be no rerouting or Merkel routing of things after that. You have Biden's word. And that's it for today's show. The Gist's assistant producer is Corey Wara, and its senior producer is Joel Patterson. Michelle Hunter is the Chief Experience Officer for Peachfish Productions. The gist is presented in collaboration with Libson's AdvertiseCast. Cast. For advertising inquiries, check out advertisecast.com/slash the gist, umperu, de peru and thanks for listening.